Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, obviously, we got a lot to, to talk about tonight. Um, you know, the football uh, definitely have some thoughts coming out of that uh, windstorm of a game uh, last Saturday. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to know uh, if anyone out there is not currently watching Andor on Disney Plus, the latest Star Wars show. You you got to just do it because. Um, you know, I, I didn't go to the, I didn't, you know, none of us went to the game this past weekend because uh, the weather and, and everything else, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. Um, but the ability to, after the Cats game, flip on the latest episode of Andor and just like, okay, this is, this is good. This is amazing. Here's entertainment. Let's go. Well thought out, well conceived, well written. And, and just to, to go with, uh, our Twitter exchange we had with, I think, was it fake Coach Fitz over the weekend when we were talking about certain things that we'll get to eventually in this pod. And he texted back the, the scene from Goodwill Hunting. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And we tweeted back just us crying. Um, look, <laughs> we there are so many things we wish we could magically fix right now that we don't have the power to, but we can at least recommend Andor for you. We can at least, if you're not watching, we can at least bring that piece of goodness into your life. It's so good. It is. It's. It is amazing. Um, I think just to you know, you Sammy, you've alluded to the football conversation we're going to have. I just, I know we're burying the lead here, and I'm going to bury it even a little further. But I'm also going to say like, we're we're going to start off with some non-revenue sports stuff because that is happy and positive and exciting for the most part. Um, we want to give those those teams some well-deserved uh, uh, kudos and airtime here. But we're also probably going to have one of the most important conversations about football that we've ever had on this podcast. I've been ticking like a time bomb since Saturday. I can tick a little longer. Let's let's hit some other stuff off the top. Yeah, so um, field hockey. I mean, we start got to start off with the reigning national champions. Uh, ran into the best goalie in the country at Michigan um, and ended up losing the, uh, the big 10 championship game two to one uh, incredible game. I mean, just awesome. And then going into the NCAA is as the number two seed. Yeah. The num- it's, it's huge. Yeah. The number two overall seed, um, they get a double by North Carolina is in the number one spot on the other side, Michigan and, Mar- and they get home games too. They get home games, uh, Michigan and Maryland are the three and four. Uh, those are the two teams that Northwestern played in the semifinal and then the final of the Big Ten Championship. Um, like you mentioned, saying they lost to Michigan 1-2. to two. Uh, They beat Michigan roughly a month ago, um, one nothing in double OT. Um, sorry, not even a month. I think like not even three, like three weeks ago or two and a half weeks ago. So, yeah, that, that's a tough squad. Um, they beat Maryland 2-1. to one. They played a ranked Rutgers team that they beat. Uh, 2-1 in the quarterfinals in, in OT. Um, so that, like, battle-tested for sure. Um, a team that I think they lost three games on the season, uh, or four games on the season, sorry, 17-4, and four, but now they get a chance to defend their title, was, which is what every champion hopes for, right? So um, they're going to get a shot. You know, so many of these games come down to just, you know, execution on a penalty corner or 
um, you know, the right the right goalie performance at the right time. So uh, they they 100 percent have a have a shot to repeat and, and make another run at this thing. Uh, and we'll see how how they go. They play Miami of Ohio, the winner of Miami of Ohio. Sorry, the Miami Ohio slash Ryder. I've never even heard of Ryder University or college, whatever it is. Those two teams are playing, and the winner plays Northwestern Friday at noon. Um, big shout outs to volleyball as well. I mean, like they took Nebraska. They, I mean, they gave number four rated Nebraska all they could handle. Uh, they had, you know, we talked about the Purdue game uh, beating Purdue. Um, you know, they, they lost to Ohio State number six in, in this Nebraska game where they were up in the fourth, you know, up two to one in the fourth set going, you know, toe to toe with the number four team in the country and, uh, you know, giving them all they could handle. Well, before we get into the specifics of the game, right, we should address the, the single most important thing about this game, <clears throat> yes, which yes. is what happened to Sienna Nordemir in this game. So Sienna Nordemir on a heroic dive going out of bounds had a freak injury that in the moment was absolutely terrifying. And for everyone who doesn't know, we'll jump ahead really quickly and say Northwestern volleyball released a statement. She was released from the hospital um, in stable condition. Emily Amon, former Northwestern volleyball player and big 10 network reporter, you know, said on top of that, that, you know, she's been released. She's okay. We don't know exactly what okay means, but I think we certainly know that it means it is not what a lot of us feared it was going to be in the moment, which was a really bad injury. Well, if, the, if, if, if you're watching, you, you really couldn't see anything. Um, all you know is that is that um, she hurt herself diving toward the stands. Um, I mean, it's the, possible, the, she, right. She may have hit her head on the bleachers yeah. diving for the ball in something. I think I... I texted you guys. I said, you know, like worst, worst case or best case, we're touching like talking probably some stitches. Yeah. Um, worst case, you know, could be could be neck uh, related. But she she did sit up in the right. stadium before they stretched her off, which was a you know a really good sign. And then it's it's really great to hear she's been released. And, yeah, and it was um, it was just a moment. I mean, we I've talked to some people who were there, and I mean, it was I mean, it was absolutely terrifying in the moment. Want to say too, Nebraska fans. I mean, this is the number four volleyball team in the country and they travel. And there were a lot of Nebraska fans there who conducted themselves in absolute class. And the Nebraska players, same thing. <clears throat> Nordemir kept the ball in play on this play and was hurt. And the ball was still, the play was still moving. It was about to go over to the Nebraska side and every single Nebraska player was like, you know, the, the play immediately became secondary. And it was... And then I think after the after the match, right, everybody gathered together and they all did a big group prayer together and everything, and it was just all class from from the visitor. So I like f- focusing on the team performance. I think something that's really important to note: how good Nebraska is. Yes. So, so Nebraska's twenty-one and two this year. Seventeen of their twenty-one wins, they have won three sets to none. Mm-hmm. In the 10 games prior to playing Northwestern, they lost four total sets. Three of those were to the number five team in the country, Wisconsin. One of those sets was at Maryland, and then Northwestern took them to the brink, had them, like, only lost the fourth set by two. Um, Nordemir being injured in the fifth set certainly impacted their ability to to uh, come back in that set. But they were down pretty, pretty, um, pretty I think they were already down, like, five, five points uh, in, that, in that fifth set. But just like a Herculean effort from Northwestern Volleyball and 
on what has been an amazing season. I just want to emphasize a couple things here. So they they you know they lost this matchup. They lost on Friday to number six Ohio State. Prior to that, they'd won four matches in a row, four Big Ten matches in a row, including an upset win over Purdue, number twelve Purdue. Um, no, like Northwestern volleyball has not won four consecutive Big Ten matches since twenty eleven. Uh, they are they are seventeen and nine right now. This is far and away the best volleyball year that Northwestern has had in in a long time. Not only did they have the win over Purdue, they also knocked off number seven Minnesota on the road. It's the first top ten win they've had on the road, I think, ever. If I recall the commentary on the on the um, broadcast correctly, and then they also beat Pepperdine um, in non-conference play early in the year, so, that, so they've got three really nice uh, ranked victories. They've and got the big the Big Ten in women's volleyball is absolutely loaded. Oh yeah, it's, it's spectacular. The Nebraska, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Minnesota are top five slash top ten teams, um, and then Northwestern is uh, has been. Ranked a couple times, I think they've been in and out of the rankings, um, but they've got a really nice six games to finish the year. So Michigan, Michigan State on the road this weekend. Uh, they get Indiana and then a, and then a, and then Michigan State at home the following weekend, and then Penn State and Illinois. All of those are winnable matches for Northwestern, and they could end uh, this season with uh, just an incredible record. They're almost certainly going to be able on the backs of that if they finish strong to go to the the postseason. Um, I really want to call out. Uh, Temi Thomas Alara. If, if you've watched their games, she's the primary striker for North or, or spiker for Northwestern. Um, she's incredible. She's incredible to watch. And then on top of it, Northwestern has just execute like really good execution, good defense. Um, they've got a couple of other hitters uh, who who are able to uh, to score points um, when they go away from from uh, Thomas Alara. So they're just a fun team to watch. They're a really gritty team to watch. Their games are typically close and a lot of a lot of excitement. Um, you know, six games left in the season. Get on board and check out this team while you can. And women's soccer are playing really, really well. Yeah, soccer had their run, right, all the way to – they made it all the way to the finals, right, and ran into that Penn State team. Or was it the semis? The semis. Um, and ran into that Penn State team, um, got down in that two goal hole in the first half and couldn't dig out of it, but – Still, conference conference semis, conference conference semis. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, right? Um, got into that two goal hole against Penn State and and couldn't dig out of it. But I mean, right? They they still, I mean, they put themselves in a position where they were, you know, one of the big events of the weekend and on the backs of just what's been a great season. And now I think we're going to look forward and see what they can pull out of, you know, you know, an awesome season for them. And now on to the NCAA's. Yeah, they're playing this Saturday against uh, SIU Edwards. Uh, in Evanston, so you know, getting a home game in the opening round of the NCAA tournament—that that's fantastic for them. And you know, just a, a hell of a season overall. Fourteen, four, and two is just you know an awesome, awesome run for women, women's soccer. It is, and what's 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 fun about this team is that they have played a very unique formation all year. They play a three-six-one, um, which is rare and i guess very very difficult i'm not i'm not the expert john you're the expert on this but like <laughs> an expert enough difficult. to tell you you don't see a lot of three six one <laughs> no you just don't and it's because it's so hard to coordinate and execute six midfielders um and find the space to make that work and then you and then on top of it you have to have an immensely talented back line uh to have just three corner three center backs um holding it down back there and they've they've done this all year to great effect 
one of the huge problems that, that came up in that Penn State game, and I have not been able to figure out what the status is here. So if anybody knows, let us know. But Emma Phillips, one of the one of the standout players on this team, um, if you were paying attention to them early in the season, had just a highlight reel bicycle kick goal. Um, I want to say in the second or third game of the season, uh, she went down with a leg injury uh, in the first half against Penn State. She is one of those center backs on the defensive line. That forced Northwestern to shift uh, to to play four uh, four on the back, and it and it took away some of what has been so effective for them in in, in the way that they they scheme and and um, and and run their formation on the field. So um, that's a big X factor going into the into the tournament play. I mean, Phillips in general has just been a huge contributor for Northwestern as well. So um, hopefully she is able to get right and come back. Maybe not for this first game again against SIUE, but. Uh, if they can advance, um, she'll be able to contribute going on. But uh, this this team has been a ton of fun. They've, they've, they've risen as high as, I think, number five or number four in the country. Um, they had stumbles against uh, Michigan State and Iowa late in the season. But um, other than that, were, were undefeated through um, conference play. One other loss against Kansas earlier in the year. So uh, just a, a lot of uh, excitement to look forward to here with this team in the postseason as well. All right. Uh, should we get to the football of it all? Uh, let let the the storms are rising, the winds are picking up. Um, you know, b- before we before we get in there, you know, this was a game like I'd never seen weather conditions like this. I mean, fifty mile an hour winds, driving rain, and you know, all the credit uh, to the cats on the field. Uh, playing out of their minds, you know. Yep. Lo- we we lose to Ohio State twenty-one to seven. Um, yeah, and the players played incredible. I mean, we were able to, you know, time of possession. We were able to run the ball on Ohio State at times. Um, you know, no one could throw the ball. Like they couldn't throw the ball. We couldn't throw the ball. The wind just pretty much eliminated the passing game. You know, all 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 day. But uh, you know. To be able to be in this game pretty much the entire way, you know, just all the credit in the world to the players. Absolutely, I mean they 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 played their they played their hearts out, and I think um, there are you know in any game there's going to be mistakes. There's there's things that that you know I'm sure some of them wish they had back, um, but they played immensely hard. I like on the defensive side in particular, like watching Adeboré and and Rod Hurd. And just the and Cam I mean, Mitchell, and Cam Mitchell, Cam, but, yeah. But the the physicality with which Hurd was coming downhill mm-hmm. to to to, to tag. I mean, we, like this run defense has been a problem all year, and they took on two of the most talented backs and one of the most talented offensive lines that they've seen to date this season, and absolutely brought everything that they possibly had. And it was a a just a gritty, um, a gritty effort from the heart. Um, all, all the credit and all the kudos to those players who who deserve every bit of accolades. I think, I like what I'm gonna say. What I'm about to say, like I don't, I don't want to take anything away from those players. Um, I think, as everybody knows, I live in I live in Ohio, and I, I alluded to this being a really important conversation about Northwestern football that we're about to have. And I'm gonna tee up. Um, I'm gonna try to tee up John here with like a like a broader landscape perspective. Especially coming off the conversation y'all had with with Doug Limerice last uh, last week around Ohio State and and from his seat in the Ohio State media bunker, he's like, well, I you know I assume Northwestern like Pat Fitzgerald will be coach for life, and you know 
when when they do anything beyond three and nine, like that's that's overperformance. And I think we quibble uh, strongly with some of that perspective. But his his perspective is truly the national view of Northwestern. That's how the casual fan views Northwestern. And as someone who lives in the state of Ohio, I cannot tell you how many people possibly possibly every person I've spoken to since Saturday um, who, who doesn't know me very, very well has said um, the following or some version of the following, which is, man, you guys, like, great job on Saturday. You're so close. Like, it's great to see you guys, like, you know, be close in that game. And, and, and every, like, those words just sting so hard because, and my response has generally been, like, A, like, A, it was a mirage, um, partly bolstered by the weather, but also, like, you should have seen us do much more in that game, but but it's like the the coaches were tying one hand behind our back for some ungodly known reason. Um, and it's just it like it's just so important because this is this is the framing in which ninety eight percent of the college football media apparatus fan base national like broad conversation views Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald. And it's why he gets so much leeway and rope. And, and some of this is the media that, that, that are actually in the room with him as, as y'all were talking about with Doug last week, but in these, in this, this big televised game in primetime on ABC, Northwestern played really good. They did have a good plan coming in. They executed pretty well. Um, and and they made they made a good showing, but God, it could have been so much more. I okay. So <laughs> buckle up. This is probably the maddest I've ever been as a Northwestern fan. I can't remember being madder. I have been livid for the past couple of days. And I've had times where I've come out of a game hot and then I've cooled down over time. But let's all be absolutely clear. As Scuzz said, and Sam said, a freak biblical weather event, some luck of the flavor that, frankly, Northwestern's been handed time and time again this season, and titanic, heroic effort by the Northwestern players put Northwestern in a position to beat the number two team in the country. And Mike Bajakian and Pat Fitzgerald took it away. That's what happened. This was a disgraceful display of coaching. The play calling, I've, it's, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. And we're going to talk about this from a macro perspective. But if you've, it's like, it's like the story about the guy who has conversations with a-holes all day and what that probably, if your coordinators in eight days turn in those two performances, the performance against Iowa's offense and this play calling performance against Ohio State, that is some shameful stuff for the person who hired those coordinators. And we're going to go through it. But this was, I mean, it was, there's what happened. There is the fact that we immediately diagnosed what happened. And then this other piece that I want to get to in a little bit about everyone coming to us, people in the Northwestern bubble, people outside the Northwestern bubble being like, what are we doing in the moment? And us having to be like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't understand. 
But you can trace this back to the beginning of the game where, as Scuzz said, and this is Fitz tries to pretend like this was the only thing that matters. Northwestern had a pretty solid game plan coming into the game, which was dimes to dollars. No one's going to be able to throw in this game. So we're going to try to run and run heavy. Super. And then it became clear that Ohio State, as they are wont to do and have been for seasons, fell asleep on defense. They didn't get off the bus for the first couple of drives on defense. And this is a team that has a poor track record in recent history in the back seven behind a phenomenal defensive line. But you know what? The Trench Cats came to play and played their asses off in this game from Peter Skaronsky on down against that titanic defensive line and showed out. And then there were a couple plays early on that first, that touchdown drive, our only touchdown drive, where we had some success with the Wildcat, mainly because, again, Ohio State was getting smacked in the mouth and they hadn't gotten off the bus. And my reaction, particularly on Evan Hall's touchdown run, was, oh my God, but is that going to mean we're going to go back to the Wildcat? And of course we were going to go back and test that well. But there was the moment, and you all watched it in the moment, where... There was a stretch of failure that should have been such a shock to the pride and sensibility of any coach that it drastically altered the rest of the game. The drive that ended the first quarter and started the second quarter on the last three plays ending the first quarter, uh, Brendan Sullivan had made three great plays and gotten us a first down, I believe, at the Ohio State 25. Now, we had just seen the wind flip, so we knew we were going to have to get into the end zone or not get anything, but we were moving the ball. And then Brendan Sullivan left the field for three straight plays, was not on the field. And when he came back onto the field, it was fourth and eight. And he had to throw a ball, a short pass into low wind, and that killed our drive. Make no mistake, we probably left seven points on the board there. It was stunning. The guy who'd been moving us down the field, and it was clear on that drive by this point in the game, and would be clear the entire rest of the game, that Ohio State's linebackers didn't know nothing when Evan Hull and Brandon Sullivan put a mesh together. They were lost, just like Maryland was lost two weeks ago. Because you know what? Those two defenses, pretty similar. The difference is Ohio State's D-line's a lot better. They were just lost. Didn't know what was going on. Brendan Sullivan was doing those Brendan Sullivan things, chewing on the mouth guard, looking like a marauder out there, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's he's that guy. Do any of us have a doubt? And then Mike Bajakian killed that drive in embarrassing fashion. And well, it, I, like just just to pile on, I don't know if it was that drive or, or if it was like. The next time that we pulled out Brandon Sullivan after making a strong play to run a couple of Wildcats in a row. But the, even the announcer was like, let's see if they could do something with the Wildcat where they're like, they, it was creating some confusion or, or, or some, something, something more than just, you know, I, I just hike it and well, run straight ahead. Well, and I just want to stress here that and you can go back. The Twitter record is right there of all of this immediately. We understood the enormity of that. Oh my God, Mike Bajakian just cost us a touchdown. 
And in this kind of game, that might be the difference in the game. And in the meantime, we are watching this miracle play out where C.J. Stroud, the most pampered quarterback in the NCAA, is climbing inside his own head because he's never faced this kind of adversity and this total in, like inability to throw. And it's compounding for him and he can't deal with it. And we're like, and then to your guys' point, right? Tommy's playing out of his mind out there. Rod Hurd's coming up and laying the lumber. Cam Mitchell, who clearly was like, he's had this game circled for months. He had three passes defensed in this game. The guy was like Velcro all day out there, right? They're just playing out of their minds. And we're like, we're in this. And then we kept going to the Wildcat and we kept taking Brendan Sullivan off the field. It was this slow motion car crash where like it's a blizzard on the interstate and a new car just keeps showing up and it goes into halftime and the discussion in Northwestern nation is, Oh my God, are we going to unleash Brendan Sullivan in the second half? Cause that's all we have to do is keep him on the field and we have a chance to win. And instead, what do we get? I think the first three plays of the second half, he's not even on the field. It just goes wildcat, wildcat, wildcat. And then it bottoms out in this disgraceful series where for seven straight plays, it's six wildcats and one play where he goes under center and I think like either hands it off or runs a QB sneak or something. Just gross. And by this point, we're fielding calls from people who aren't even in the Northwestern bubble, who are like people we know, Northwestern, like college football fans checking into this game because everyone was watching the game being like, what are you guys doing? And then we're supposed to know. And it's like the, the fact that on the heels of everything we've seen this season and how bad the coaching has been and the degree to which they should have been chastened by their failure by now and be trying to adjust and make moves and be like, we have to bring it because everyone's head should, you know, everyone's job should be on the line here. We get this game plan that just exists. It's like plays were just called at random. Like the fact that what was going on on the field had no bearing on the game. And this, as you I'm sure can all tell by now, this was a snapping point for me. I just what what is this and and what are we supposed to do as fans watching a game like this play out in the ninth game of a season like this just i mean the the sheer lack of imagination and lack of sense on this is working what and and the wild when the wildcat was not working to keep going back to it over and over and over and over. This is literally the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. They caught on. You know, the Wildcat wasn't fooling anybody. They caught and on by yet, the third we, drive of the game. They caught on. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it, it, it wasn't fooling anyone. And yet we, st- we still tried to go back to that well. The overarching critique of Northwestern's offense or not even critique, the overarching perspective. This is true of literally everyone that covers college football and especially everyone that covers Northwestern, is that in one of the last four years, Northwestern has has fielded a 
really effective playmaking quarterback. And in 2019 and 2021, that wasn't true. And that's what really hurt us on offense. And here we have in a massive game where we've been gifted this weather event that has leveled, leveled some of the playing field for our defense and enabled a great opportunity for Northwestern to take just a, an epic, an epic opportunity. Clear evidence in front of everyone of a playmaking quarterback on the field making plays, and we sideline him over and over and over again. And it just, I, I, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. And it, like, the only, the only, like, tiny little thing in my head is, well, like, maybe, maybe we were concerned about, like, limiting some of his hits or, or, or something like that. But, like, then at the same time, that just doesn't make any freaking sense. I just, I, I just can't, I can't fathom what they were thinking other than the only, like for years now, we've seen this team under multiple offensive coordinators struggle to adjust and change the plan. When plan A doesn't work, there's, there's no plan B. They, 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 they just struggle in game to do anything different. And this is a weird example like you usually it's like uh play day isn't working guys what are we going to do instead and 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 it's nothing um this is the case where like part of plan a was incredible and part of plan a was like maybe we should leave that aside and it's like they couldn't they couldn't change it's like the play like the, the play sheet or whatever game plan in front of them said you know we will run x number of wildcat plays and like well god damn it we better run x number of wildcat plays right what i i mean and because you, we were talking right after this game, and you made the excellent point. You know who comes out of this game looking kind of good? Mick McCall. N- yeah, not yeah. I have I have not, empathy for Mick McCall not, right now. Not because his performances were better than Mike Bajakian's, but because the flavor at this point across the two is so unmistakably Pat Fitzgerald that it should color everything you think about both coordinators. This The only game I have ever been this livid from an offensive perspective was that Iowa game in Justin Jackson's, what, second year or whatever, where we just threw him into the line 50 times right up the middle for like one yard a pop again and again and again. This was like the, the same thing as that. It's like, right— We've decided, chiseled it in stone, this is what we're going to do, and it'll operate independent to any reality that is playing out. And I'm just, this is not something that we touch on very often because it's kind of a bad look to do, and, and it's and it doesn't completely sum up our whole like listener base, et cetera. But like, Northwestern graduates in general are really friggin' smart. And just within the groups of some of these people we knew, like, like, holy shit, the jobs some of these people have, right? We know people who are, like, in charge of nuclear propulsion on giant boats and have founded corporations <laughs> and things like this. And these people are watching a game like this playing out and coming to us and being like, I don't understand what what is going on. You you guys are the Northwestern people we know who are the sports people. Like, what, why are we doing this? I don't under. And we're supposed to have an answer. And... Just to be like, I, I don't, like, we have nothing for you. And this is the thing where, like, we're having, this, like, these these meltdowns where it's just, like, despondency. And 
for me, I mean, again, as again, you can all tell I've climbed so far inside my own head on this and just like something in me snapped with this particular performance. You'd be like, why didn't it happen against Iowa last week on defense? I don't know. I'm just telling you it happened this week. And this idea of, again, like we've been talking this year, you know, we've had all these discussions about Derek Gregg and what we're hoping and changes of coordinators. And, you know, like hopefully this will happen and hopefully this will happen. And now I'm in this position where I'm thinking like, again, like we don't know. We don't know what conversations Derek Gregg has had or something like that. But I was like, you know, if like in my own head, I'm like, if there would have been a situation where Derek Gregg to this point had sat Pat Fitzgerald down and been like, look, you're undelivering and guys are going to be, you know, like things are, changes are going to be made unless things drastically change and you need to get, then you wouldn't have had a situation where you had completely static, stubborn, arrogant play calling throughout this game, followed by, as we predicted on Twitter, a press conference where Pat Fitzgerald basically pretended like everything was hunky-dory. And, and and so you, b- before we get into that, like I, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we're not in the room, right? Like, I I get like we are we are out the three of us we're outsiders we're not in the room we're not part of it we don't know the conversations that are going on in the locker room I get that, and but that's you know we're not being told anything, and that's what's really frustrating is like we see the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, it, when Fitz comes out and says, you know, we're handling this inside, okay, great. But we're not seeing any of that, and we're not hearing what is being said. We're not hearing what's being talked about, and we're not seeing any differences on the field. So what the hell are you doing? And for Mr. Accountability, where's where's yeah. the accountability? I mean, like, honestly, I can't stress this enough. And again, I'm this was a bridge too far for me. He needed to stand up there and be like, we blew it. I'm sorry. The players were heroes today, and we as coaches took that win away from them because that's what happened out there. Those guys were lions on the field out there in that game. And to your point about, like, we don't know and everything, Scuzz, to piggyback on something that you said earlier about the whole thing with, like, the way the outside nation views this, right? And the bottom line is the we're a tiny blip for the outside nation, and if you want change and you want voices for change and everything, and I'm speaking directly to you, our listeners, you need to voice and go for that change. You contact Derek Rag. Tell him you've tell him you're fed up. Tell him you have problems. Tell him and tell this athletic department that regardless of what the outside nation thinks, you think this and that you are sick of having to deal with this again and again. And that, I mean, again, it's been two straight seasons and three of the past four. And I think like at this point, we've all pretty clearly diagnosed what a lot of the, what a lot of the problem points are. Right. But again, Scuzz's point, like the rest of the nation's not harping on this. The rest of the nation's looking and being like, Hey, you guys played Ohio state close. It has to come from Northwestern nation. If you want change, you have to make your voices heard. I think what's hard for me still is, um, and we've painted the picture like this, this falls so directly at the feet of Fitz. And I, like, I, I go back to the conversation we've referenced it a couple times this year. Although granted, we've been more focused on the defense. Um, although John, was, well, I think it was like two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, you brought up the idea of like evaluating the Bajakian hire 
through the lens of the John O'Neill hire, i.e. this is a guy I can get along with, this is a guy who'll work well together, this is a guy that will take my general like blueprint for the team. I'm saying my as if I'm Fitz, my general blueprint for the team and 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 work within the confines of how I want an offense to operate. And like I've I've said a number of times I feel like Fitz is out of his depth in terms out of his depth is the wrong way to phrase it. Like he's uncomfortable managing his his coaches. I just I just don't think it's an action that he's he lived in this in this um mentor mentee relationship for for 12 years with Hank and McCall that was really healthy and I'm sure a wonderful place to work etc and I like but but I, I just I don't think he has had to manage or develop his coordinators in the way that um you would want a head coach of his stature and tenure to be doing and it's it's not like his offensive it's not like his football philosophy has to change like you can run a ball like was it um Ben Gorin uh, posted about this and his, and one of his primary takes was like, listen, like you, you can run a ball control offense that, that is with, with, you know, a dominant defense like that, that can be your, your theory. That can be your approach to football, but you can't do it in such a vanilla and predictable and, and childlike manner um, because you're going to get steamrolled by all the other teams out there. And there's just, there's, there's a lack of creativity and modernity that that would flow through all of this. I just when when Fitz hired Bajaki and we we brought it up with Adam Rittenberg, like is he going to to loosen the reins and allow his offensive coordinator to run their offense, their system, do 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 what they want, um, be more modern, be more multiple, you know, attacking different ways, etc. And we just haven't seen it. And I'm like, I I can't help it but look at like the trickeration or the mix-up plays that we do get on occasion in Bajakian's offense, which just feel more and more kind of like awkward and, and predictable. Um, Gadgety for the sake of gadgets. Yeah. Like, or, or just so, um, so obvious, right? Like, like we, how many times do we run the wildcat before, right after we ran it on first down with, with, with jet sweep action. And then we ran it on second down and handed off to the jet sweep. And of course he got tackled in the backfield. Cause like, they were looking for it. The guy was just it. waiting for him. Right. So there's, there's um, it, like, the, the best years of Northwestern, it felt like our coaches and our players were a step ahead of the competition. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have the, the depth or the, the athletic talent that other teams in the Big Ten had, but they were a step ahead in scheme and mentality and execution. Um, and over the past five or six years, it feels like it's just kind of, gradually fallen by the wayside and we're we're at at the depth of a trough and so like i I started this by saying i struggle because i I, I struggle with like is this the moment to move on from fits and 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 i I think i'm probably still in the camp of if he won't make changes not just to the coordinators but to his philosophy then yes it is the time to move on yeah i Um, yeah i completely agree yeah, and because uh, no, real real quick, because you you said one word in that, and it just took me back. Every single year, we've been saying that word, and it's predictability. Yeah. yeah. How how long have we been talking about predictability? And it you know, it's 
We're not taking anyone's by surprise. We're not inflicting our will on the game. We're letting the game come to us. You know right? the what you know ironically the one time we did inflict some surprise it was rolling out um uh the the wildcat with Porter at the end of the 2020 season. Well, I mean, <laughs> ironically, and it's like now, now it's like now they can't. Oh, but, they can't quit it. Oh, but but the other piece of that too, though, was that the, that earlier on in the season, that was the only time he would come on the field, uh, yeah. to run the walkout because some decision had been chiseled in stone at the start of that season that it's like Cam Porter equals Wildcat, so that's how it will be, and it's it's. Here's here's another thing. I, I I laughed out loud at one moment in the in the game because the announcers one of the announcers was like, "I really want to know if Cam Porter or Evan Hull can throw a pass." <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair. I was laughing. So hard. I mean, like, yeah, it would be fun to know, I suppose. The <sighs> and, and here's and here's the other thing that compounds. The, so, like again, the staggering scope of the of the coaching failure in this game is that it is writ large the entire season. Do you want to know? How a team, so like since we got back, Amer- games we've played in America, post-Nebraska, you want to know how a team with, to the, at this point, right, a dynamic young quarterback, exciting young quarterback, a fantastic running back, an excellent wide receiver, and an NFL future first round pick left tackle is 129th out of 131 teams in scoring offense. I would point fingers at the coaches, people. Because it's the coaches that didn't put Sullivan in, you know, at this point, years ago, right? He's been available for a year. And by the way, Sean McDonough slyly pointed this out during the game. That Brendan Sullivan was available all last year, too. um, That at this point, you're looking and being like, oh my god. Like, what, especially with him appearing to be, in a lot of ways, a Peyton Ramsey clone. And that we didn't do this. But then all this other talent just being wasted in the most predictable, as you guys said, offense possible. And it's like, trust me, the other teams down in that range, 120 to 131 in scoring offense in the country, would kill to have some of these guys on their team. And we've got these pieces and we're doing just nothing with it. And that's it's, it's on the coaches 110%. There's there's a really depressing uh, basketball um, yeah. par- parallel that we could and maybe we will go do it in a minute. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you're you're spot on, John. And I think like we 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 said it. I mean, again, going back to the to, to the conversation when Bajakian was hired in December of of 2019, like our hope, we knew we knew that he wasn't you know, going to come in and magically get Northwestern in the top 50 of S&P Plus or anything like that. We knew that wasn't going to happen. It just was not the way Fitz was going to run his team. Um, and and, and we, we were using that as kind of like a like a high watermark because that's where he got with Tennessee and with, um, I forget where he was before that, maybe Cincinnati. Or, or, anyways, like in his different college stops, like, Typically, they'd be, you know, in the 80s, and then they'd jump up in the 60s, and they'd jump into the 40s. And uh, and that's, you know, we were like, well, we're probably not going to see Northwestern get into the 40s, because it's just not who we are identity-wise. But, you know, instead of languishing in the 90s, like we've been with the, with the McCall approach, can we get into the 80s, the 70s, the 60s? Can we become a middling offensive team in college football? And it's gone, it, it's gone the polar opposite direction. It's, gone, it's gotten abjectly worse. Yeah. 
And so to the, to your point, I guess we should mention the, the basketball piece of this, right? Which is, so Northwestern basketball opened their season last night, but the game itself was kind of overshadowed by the fact that Ryan Young is starting for Duke. He is starting at center for Duke. He went six for six from the floor, put up 12 and seven. And to say he lit Duke Twitter on fire wouldn't be too. Duke Duke <laughs> Twitter making happy YMCA jokes was a whole thing that night. Being like, oh my gosh, this guy can't jump, but Lordy, is he crushing him with his low post moves? And we're all, <laughs> as every Northwestern fan says, yep, that's exactly how it was yeah. for his entire, and right. And and now now that like there is a they, they've got uh, some awesome five star center who's probably going to be the the actual starter for most of the season who I think is out injured right now or uh, or whatnot but like the the idea that Ryan Young was the third highest point scorer for Northwestern last year and and the eighth was eighth on the team in minutes um, just continues to to and upset and, my, upset and, my stomach and that's the thing is is. This was this all happened in two days from Sunday through yeah. Monday. And these two moments for all of us as Northwestern fans to just take these gut punches where as as just as we've been screaming for one and a half, two years at this point, oh my God, what are we doing? Why won't we stop? What's going on? Why won't someone do something about this? Right? And then just watching it all continue to happen. And this is the thing. Like Dr. Greg, this is where Northwestern fans are right now. And it is a horrible place to be. And we're we're looking to you, sir, doctor. We're looking to you to help bring about the changes that a lot of us are looking for here. And again, that's what they're saying. It's like a lot of us, you know, all throughout this season, more and more and I more and more eyes are slowly turning. To Fitz and the party line from everybody universally is Fitz's buyout must be astronomical. He is beloved by Pat Ryan. Those two things. He's he, he's never fireable, etc. And it's like, well, as the athletic director, it's your program, and and ultimately you make the calls and you can decide. And I think we would all, and we said this with Doug Maurice last week, like Fitz is an unbelievable molder of men and developer of a program. And we want to see him stay with someone making him see the light on this coordinator piece of it and making him see the light in terms of what needs to happen and the free reign that innovative minds are, you know, they need to be brought into this program to lead it in the right place need to be. But just please understand where Northwestern fans are right now. And please understand that they need to hear from you and that they need to feel like we are going to see some sort of change that's going to lead us into a better direction here. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. 
and go cats. So, I mean, we've got Minnesota this week. Can, you know, just, can I, can I, so speaking of Minnesota, I wanted to mention something yeah. relative to this is when we put up a tweet about this. So there was probably the single tweet that people responded to most from us this weekend is, and we, we, we alluded to it earlier, the Ohio state is Northwestern has had a bad run of injuries. There's no doubt about it, but a lot of teams have had a bad run of injuries in terms of random circumstantial luck. The things Northwestern has been handed this year, the tickets we have not cashed two biblical weather events, right? Maryland's backup quarterback getting to play a Brian Ferentz coached offense Getting to play Scott Frost, the one ticket we did cash. Getting to play a MAC team. Getting to play an FCS team. And Minnesota this week, we don't know what the status of Tanner Morgan's going to be in this game. He's been kind of in and out the past couple of weeks. And Minnesota's a very different team when he's not in. And that gives us a chance to be in this game. You know, and we don't really know and we'll see. But it's just, and it's one more thing where I'm like, God. That should make a massive difference. And at this point, I, who knows? Uh, weather's going to be a factor again. <laughs> the, um, the high I see uh, is, is roughly 30 degrees. Um, I, am, I am most intrigued as what this number will be because I will be in Minnesota for this game, as I am, uh, want to do every year. Uh, the AccuWeather forecast on ESPN is guessing 39 degrees. Either way, it's going to be cold. Um, to your point, John, about Tanner Morgan, last week against Nebraska, uh, Minnesota was down. They had to come back in the game. Uh, they were down 10 nothing at half. I'm not exactly sure when Morgan – I think Morgan went down in the first half. Um, but Ethan uh, Kalikmanis came in. Um, I'm probably butchering that uh, wonderfully Greek name, but um, regardless, he came in and led them to a comeback in the second half. So even if Morgan is down, I think there's um, there's some some firepower to this to this offense. We've talked about Kirk Chiraca coming back into the fold at Minnesota, bringing his super quick uh, RPO game with with a strong O line and and the hammer that is no, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim. No doubt the best running back we've faced so far this season. Yeah, so so like this is this is a huge challenge. Um weather and a super young quarterback and if like if our defense can bring the mentality and the heat and the and the intensity that they brought last week against Ohio State like yeah, we can 100% be in this game, but if we if we play with our head up our ass like we did against Ohio state on offense. Yeah. There's no, like, we're, there's no way we're going to win. I, I still come back. I mean, and again, right. I mean, you, you mentioned it and it deserves to be stated again and again, the players, not a player, the players played out of their minds in that game. They were so good. They were so friggin' good. Everybody across all positions, defensive linemen getting into the backfield, harassing guys, making tackles. Yeah. Right. Um, Against that Ohio State offensive oh, line, yeah. too. And I mean, right. Ohio State is a team that's very good in the trenches. And look, they look great. Right. I mean, if the players pull that, you know, bring that kind of effort up to Minnesota, like, huge deal. And of course, we know the, the short the short yardage stops on Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Or, two or, of the or, best. Henderson, Henderson, Mayan, Mayan Williams. Oh, and, Henderson and, and, and um, Mayan Williams. Okay, Emeka Buka, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, and but like like the number of times that we've seen a a, a running back or receiver like break first contact and get a couple extra yards this season. I mean, it's been the, the 15, 20 times a game until that game. The number of times we hit these are like mine. Williams is a big, powerful back, right? The number of times we hit him and like you had a, you had a defensive lineman or Grayson Metz coming in and holding him there while, while the team swarmed and, and took them down short of the first down. Like that happened multiple, multiple times in that game. That's the sort of mentality we're going to have to have against Ibrahim who has like great power uh, and strength as a running back. Um, right. But like, I it, like I, I say that it'll it'll matter this weekend, but also just as another hallmark of just how good the guys played on right. Saturday. And and right to be fair, like at the end of the day, Ohio State rushed for two hundred and seven yards and they averaged five point nine a clip, and that's because Northwestern's the worst run defense in the Big Ten, and that is what it is. I mean, we were eleventh for a long time. I mean, we were we were thirteenth for a long time, and now we're fourteenth. And we've, we're not going to relitigate that. We've been down this road a million times. But you look at the effort from the guys. And, and again, Ohio State was going to get their yards. And, you know, Minnesota is going to get their yards. But Northwestern battled. And this is a team that, like, Ohio State rushed for 207 yards in this game. This is a team that at any point in time. I know they've had issues recently. But with the ta- the raw talent in that running game, they're capable of going 300, 350. You know, they're they're just stacked with talent. And Northwestern fought really early and really battled and battled and battled and minimized the damage as well as they can. And, and that's what kept us in that game for so long. And the, they, if they can pull the same thing off against Ibrahim and we get any kind of support from the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball, we could totally be in this game. The players showed that they are, that they have more than enough fight. And again, with the Sullivan piece and, and, you know, every other, you know, and the individual effort you're seeing from individual guys and everything, it should be enough to make you believe that it's like, look, you get the right minds in the coaching staff with the right schemes and put guys in the right places and put them in the best chance to succeed. And there is talent and fight on this team that will take care of the other piece of it. Uh, it'll be really fun to watch Evan Hall. Um mm-hmm. Because this is a home, this is a homecoming for him. Uh, he was great against Minnesota last year in a really rough, um, rough game overall. Averaged seven yards per carry. Um, only caught three balls, so, um, but I, I expect him to be to be heavily active in, in, in this game this year. Um, he has not. He's never played uh, at Minnesota with Northwestern. Um, he's played. He's played in two games uh, against them in Evanston. So it'll be really fun to see him perform this weekend. And then, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see Sullivan get another bite at the apple here against a, a much less impo- imposing defense. Um, we've talked all season about how Minnesota, they're the time Lords, like the, like they're just going to try and grind us with their running game on the offensive side. Um, keep, keep our offense on the sideline. I mean, this is one of the, the other interesting things about the Northwestern Ohio state game is that Northwestern's time of possession greatly outpaced the 30, Buckeyes. 36, 26 for us, 23, 34 for them. I and mean, we were the time Lords of that game. Yep. That, that is what Minnesota is going to try to do in this game. And, and it's going to be incumbent upon our defense to get us the ball back. And it's going to be incumbent on, upon our, upon our offense uh, to, to maintain possession so that they can, they can uh, even that playing field that will give them a better chance against the Minnesota D for sure. And, and honestly, if we weren't killing drives with wildcat snaps, we could have controlled even more of the clock in that game. Yeah, I know. Um, right. God, it could have been 40, 20. Yeah. Right? The other thing, yeah. the other thing that, um, 
we should point out too. So two things that dovetail. One, we basically found out in the middle of the game from Sean McDonough that Thomas Gordon is injured for the rest of the season, which we laugh. I mean, it's a horrible because he's our number one tight end and he's out. But I mean, this is the life of a Northwestern fan. This is how you learn these things. We don't know if Brendan Sullivan's going to play this coming week. Um, he clearly got, I mean, to use the, yeah, the well outdated parlance, he got his bell rung. And we we don't know exactly what you know, what the situation is there. Let me be the first to say that, I mean, I, I mean, I can't say fast enough, shut him down. I mean, if, if there's, if, you know, if he needs to recover, I mean, that would be always the case anyway, but particularly at the end of the season, like just if there's any doubt at all, I mean, which, and to be fair, Northwestern is always aired this way when it comes to injuries. So, but we don't know. And if, if he's, you know, if he needs to sit, he, should sit and get healthy and you know no need to come back this season please do get your rest in okay um but we don't really know the details and this being northwestern we won't know the details until you know right before the game so um we'll see and if it's ryan Helinski, it's ryan Helinski. you know also you know with only three games left i know you know fitz was saying in his press conference you know he's starting to rotate in some of the some of the red shirts, because you know you can play them now, and you know trying well, to balance the. You, you could I, you could so have played many, them against Duke and SIU I, and, and Miami. Sure, you could have. They didn't, but now you know because they made the choice not to. Now, why not? Right? Yeah. So I mean, not a whole lot more to to say on on that front. You know, two thirty kickoff. Um, on Big Ten Network, Minnesota is a seventeen and a half point favorite with the over under at over under at forty one. Yeah. So the I you know I, I just to revisit this again. I mean again, it's it's big picture stuff at this point. And uh, trust me, as a lot I'm sure a lot of you are very aware, we have heard from people all year from all walks of Northwestern. Right? These are people with any kind of connections or connections to journalism or connections to any number of, of kind of things coming to us and being like, please talk about this. Please talk about this. Please lay it out clear for this so that Northwestern, I don't know how much more clear we can be at this point. And honestly, like, I, I don't know, you know, how much more we could possibly be motivated to ring the bell after the defensive coaching performance against Iowa and the offensive coaching performance against Ohio State. I don't know that you can't add any more alarms to this fire. So here's us saying, you know, make your voices heard. It's your program. It's your team. You guys care. You see what the players are doing. You know what they deserve. You know what you deserve as fans. Make your voices heard. And, you know, and that that's probably what we're going to need as much as anything as we go down the stretch here. And on, honestly, you know, I, I think, John, you and I did the thing that, you know, people will end up doing and that's voting with your wallet. I mean, yes, we, we had already bought our tickets, but we didn't go. Right. I mean, yes, it was, a, it was, the weather was insane and other things were going on, but still we didn't go and, and, and people are going to not go. Right. And we ought to be a bellwether and, and, because we go almost, you know, 95% of the time. And I'm sure, I'm sure this is something that is, that is certainly being, you know, caught and you know that that's being made aware of but you know it's it's there's no there's no alarm too loud to ring at this point because things are very very bad 
Uh, quickly, we'll run through the rest of the uh, rest of the conference. Just you know, other games going on. Indiana is at Ohio State. Ohio State is a forty point favorite. Um, that's at uh, that that that's big. That's Big Fox Noon. Oh uh, Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, also at eleven, Purdue at Illinois. You know, Illinois. This this should be Big Fox mm-hmm. Noon because this is for the West. It's it's yeah. a huge game. After, after Illinois, after Illinois, you know, loses to Michigan State well, last week. You know, the other crazy piece of this though is if Purdue beats Illinois, Wisconsin beat Purdue, and there becomes this weird carousel situation. And I think my money still is on Illinois to to pull this out. But the idea of Wisconsin somehow winning the West in the same season where they fired their head coach is about the most Big Ten West thing ever. But is still something that is actually in play. But yes, Gus is right. That Purdue Illinois game, that's you know, it's the Big Ten game of the week. So here here's the thing though, like I've been waiting for Purdue's Rundy to kind of step in it all year. Um two weeks ago they gave up 178 to Wisconsin. Six point one average. Last week they gave up 184 to Iowa. Yeah, and now if they five point three, and now they face, and the now best they get in the country. You're right. Chase Brown, one of the best running backs, um, one of the best rushing offenses, um, a a far better, de- well, not far, but a, a a commiserate defense to to what they saw the last two weeks. Maybe not quite as good, right, as Wisconsin or uh, or Iowa. Although Illinois beat both of them, so um, like it's in Champaign. Uh, I w- I will say I think it was was it. Um, it was a big game boomer or whatever um, was actually at the Illinois game last weekend against Michigan state and said that the student section, like, like didn't show out. Like if you're at like Illinois fans don't listen to this podcast, cast, but like, like y'all, your team is really good. You should go out and watch them this weekend, watch them clinch the division against Purdue this weekend. I think it's going to happen. Um, I, you know, it'll, it'll be entertaining football. If, 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 if our game is, is looking ugly, well, I guess our, I guess this is on before our game, so get, get yeah. a little amuse bouge. Uh, you got Rutgers at Michigan State. Uh, Sparty is, is a ten point home favorite. Um, Nebraska at Michigan. Uh, care to guess the line if you ha- if you're not looking at it? Uh, twenty five. Oh, twenty nine. Twenty nine and a half. Michigan is uh, got their. Michigan can firmly throw their hat in the the best team in the country conversation. I mean, it's almost certainly Georgia, but Michigan's got as good of a claim for number two as anybody right now. Well, the, uh, the play, the playoff rankings came out tonight. Um, Michigan, it's three TCU is four uh, behind Georgia and Ohio state at one and two. So yeah, I mean, it's all going to come down to the last game of the season, Michigan, Ohio state. Like it, it, Used to do all the time, and you know, did <laughs> like, last year. Like they tried to draw it up, draw it up when they, uh... yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the leaders and legends, and yeah. yeah. Um, two thirty on Fox. You got Maryland at Penn State. Uh, Penn State is a ten point home favorite. Is Talia back? He is, but he kind of yes. took his. They kind of took their lumps last week against the Badgers. So again, that was you know about Wisconsin's best game the, of the season. It, and you know there it was windy yeah, up in Madison too. It wasn't as bad as it was in Evanston, but uh, weather was definitely a factor last week 
but yeah, Talia was back. God, I'd love to. I'd love to see Maryland pull this off. I just think Penn State is hot garbage at number fourteen in the country. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, in at Kinnick. So Wisconsin, a one and a half point road favorite. The over under is thirty five. Yeah, but that, <laughs> now, yeah, but now they're facing offensive juggernaut, the Iowa Hawkeyes, who've scored fifty seven yeah. points in their past two games. Proud to say we played the lion's share of that role, um, but I, I think I, I was I think I was figured it out a little bit. I also like Graham Mertz against this defense. Yikes! <laughs> and Pe- and Petrus against the Wisconsin defense. Yeah, yikes! Yeah, I don't know. I I I would lean Wisconsin here again. I just think to, all your points about Purdue's run defense are are very good and i think wisconsin is a different level than what i was seeing the past two weeks um i mean i there are other games that are going to be going on this weekend i you know don't really have the capacity to care about about any of them honestly nah tcu texas is fun just because they kind of hate each other yeah and you know tcu's you know ranked number four i mean they are undefeated and you know they've they've struggled at at times but uh you know ended up coming out ahead so that 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 could be fun that game day is in austin i would Um, one of the one of the ones that's standing out to me is ucf tulane so tulane is having this awesome season this season and you know on the other side you've got isaiah bowser who continues to just churn out rushing yards ucf at this point has rj harvey's kind of their number one option and then they use bowser as kind of their battering ram kind of guy but bowser continues to pile up yards he had 67 yards on 15 carries last week and uh he'll continue to be a big part of this game so i mean that's a that's a huge uh aac game and he's going to be a big part of it Yeah, that, that one will be fun. Um, not to be, not to go backwards, but uh, you all know what the what the TCU Texas record over the last ten years looks like, head to head. All T all TCU, right? Seven to three yeah. TCU. Let's go TCU, yeah. and the, no one, we're still all rooting for you, TCU. Make it make it win number eight. Hypnotoads, right? Is yep. that isn't that yeah, what the, uh, Sunny Dykes' sweatshirt yep. was? Yeah, yeah. Can't say I like rooting for Sunny Dykes, honestly. But sure, uh, sure, better, sure. Better, better than old Sarky Sark. Yeah. Uh, anything else um, before we uh, put a bow on this one? Just you know, we've we've said it a couple times before. Like it, as as much as you can find cognitive dissonance to be pissed at our coaching apparatus and make your voices heard, as John was in, was intoning earlier, but. Relish the opportunity to watch, uh, you know, some of these guys play like like Mitchell, like Hurd, um, Adeware. Like our defense has struggled, but there there are some really strong performers. Um, Skaronsky on the on the O line, Evan Hall. Like it, in, enjoy the enjoy the education of Brendan Sullivan. Right, like there are um, there are fun things to be had, and there are uh, things to be celebrated with this football team as as dire as the. Uh, state of the program and, and, and whatnot feels like right now. So um, as much as you can find the cognitive dissonance to uh, to enjoy those those enjoyable moments uh, whilst um, roasting the coaching staff and demanding accountability and change, um, I, I, I applaud everyone's efforts to do so. 
Uh, so yeah, with that, um, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, to leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh,